On the night before his death, our Lord Jesus is a way of preparing to host his disciples at table in the Lord's Supper. He took a towel, he got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. And then after explaining, or after completing this act of humble service to his friends, his disciples, Jesus instructed them. He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Later that evening, Jesus summarized this teaching. He said to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You see, inherent in what Jesus was doing that evening is this. Our Lord intended not only to reconcile individual men to God, individual human beings, he also intended to reconcile human beings to one another and to establish in himself and in his love a new human family. And at the heart of this new human family, the new humanity that is his body, the church, is this fundamental concept and commandment. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, as Jesus loves us now. We are to serve one another as Jesus has served us, as Jesus even now serves us in heaven at his Father's right hand. The order here is important. We have to see that. that it is as we are loved by Jesus, it is, it is as we are served by him that we are able to love others, that we are able to serve others. Jesus doesn't simply say, now you've watched me, I've gone out and loved those terrible people out there, now you go and do what I did. No, Jesus is our Lord and our teacher, and he actually transforms us into those who are empowered to love. And he does it this way. He, he says to us, he says to me, to you, he says, I love you. I have loved you. I love you now. I will love you forever with all your rough edges, with all your selfishness, with all your sin. And my love and grace is what will strengthen you and equip you and call you to go and love your brother, your sister, in their rough edges, in their selfishness, in their sin. The Apostle John, who was there on the night that Jesus did this, years later he wrote his epistle, and in there, reflecting certainly on the words of Christ, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I mean, do you hear the logic of John's words there? He says, we are the beloved of God. That's who we are. That's our fundamental identity. And then we're called to love one another, but the source of that love is not us. The source of the love is God himself. And he says, those that do this, those that love others in the body, do so because they have been born of God. They are the children of God, and they know God. The teaching of Jesus and the Apostle John, it's utterly consistent with each other and with the whole 
of the scriptures. Those who love God and are loved by God, then naturally and organically, by the work of the Spirit, love others. And particularly, they love others who are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It is impossible, in other words, for your relationship with God to be merely vertical, merely about you and Jesus, and you're relating to one another. The Apostle John summarizes this concept nicely in his epistle with his usual bluntness. He writes, he says, if anyone says, I love God, right, you have that vertical relationship, and hates his brother, he is a liar, John says. Now, maybe he's not an intentional liar, but John is saying he's speaking falsely. For he who does not love his brother horizontally, who he has seen, who he can see and touch, he cannot love God whom he has not seen, John says. And this commandment we have from him. This commandment comes, he says, from the Lord Jesus. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Now, in a very real sense, it's easier to just do that vertical thing, right? It's much easier to love God sometimes than it is to love our brother or our sister, our neighbor. God is patient. God is kind. Yes, God's providence sometimes is difficult, it's mysterious, it's challenging, but God doesn't sin against us. God does not mistreat us. God does not harm us. But our brother in Christ our sister in Christ, they do all those things and more. They sin against us. They hurt us. Our brother harms us. Our sister lets us down. They speak words of anger. They commit acts of betrayal. They do things to us that God would never do to us because God is righteous entirely and holy and they have not yet been perfected in that holiness. And so in order to do this, in order to love our brother or our sister as our Lord Jesus commands and requires, it requires something from us, something costly, something precious. To love our brother and sister in Christ requires forgiveness. Forgiveness is not some sort of extra special thing that we do for one another when we find the kind of spiritual inspiration and energy and we work through all our issues and resentments. No, forgiveness is perhaps the most essential part of loving any human being, whether that person is our spouse or our parent or our child or our biological sibling or our brother or sister in Christ. Forgiveness is essential because all of us are sinners and we hurt each other and we sin against one another. So you can't love another sinner without being called to forgive them. And not just once, but again, 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 and again. Remember Peter's question to Jesus, how many times must I forgive? As many as seven times? Seventy times seven, says our Lord. 
You can see the logic of this dynamic in the Apostle Paul's teaching from Ephesians 4, which we heard a few minutes ago. First, Paul is warning his, leader, his readers rather, against a, a list of sins. He's saying, don't lie to each other. We didn't learn that way in Jesus. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what the unbelievers do. Don't do that. Don't lie to one another. Don't, don't be sinfully angry with each other. Don't steal from one another, he says. Don't speak evil words to one another. He says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and slander and malice. Put those things away. And then at the very end of that chapter, after Paul finishes describing this list of sins that his readers need to avoid, that he warns them against, he writes to them and he concludes that by saying this. He says, be kind to one another. So he's been, he's been describing all these, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Here's a positive action. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, beloved, do you know why Paul makes his argument in that order? Why he first warns us against the list of sins that we might commit against one another and then instructs us to forgive? It's because he knows it will do these things, right? I mean, he's telling the church in Ephesus, don't do all this stuff to each other, but he knows that they will, inevitably. They're not done yet. They're not perfected yet in holiness. And so he knows that they will lie to each other. He knows that they'll be angry with each other. He knows that they and we as well will speak evil words to one another. He knows that we will do these things that again and again will fall short in how we ought to treat each other. Our weakness and our frailty and our selfishness. He knows that we will fail to completely live up to the commandment that our Lord has given us to love one another. And so he knows that the only way we'll be able to obey and keep on loving each other in the midst of all the hurt that we cause one another is through forgiveness. Forgiveness is absolutely essential. But how are we to forgive? How are we to do this? How are we supposed to keep forgiving people who keep sinning against us, against those who have hurt us, those who have harmed us? Paul tells us, he says, forgive one another. He doesn't say through your own holiness, your own spirituality. He says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so we're back where we started, with the love of God. God is the source. God is the means. God is the motivation for our forgiveness, just as God is the source and the means and the motivation for our love. We are to love one another because Jesus has first loved us. We are to serve one another because Jesus has first served us. And when we fail to love, or when others fail to love us, we are to forgive, because God in Christ has forgiven us. Beloved, this is the logic of the gospel. This is how God sets us free to be reconciled to one another and to actually forgive. I mean, it's a miracle, forgiveness, right? to actually forgive those who have sinned against us. It's because God, who knows all of our sin, 
all of our evil, all of our wickedness, all of our selfishness, all the harm that we have done to ourselves and to others, He has forgiven that. He has forgiven you of all you have ever done. And so you are liberated, you are set free to forgive others. This, in the end, is what the apostle teaches us is required for us to love one another in the midst of our failure to love as we should. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Those who are forgiven by God, forgive others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be gracious to us, that this word, which is simple and yet so complicated, Father, will sink deep into our hearts, that we'll hear the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, that by your Spirit, Father, we would know the love you have for us and be set free to forgive others in Christ's name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.